Listener production. Hello. In this episode of The Briefing, we look at the fallout from the Manly NRL Pride jersey controversy. We wish to apologise to the LGBTQ community. However, instead of enhancing tolerance and acceptance, we may have hindered this. Yes, that is the coach, Des Hasler. Uh, the Manly Seagulls will take the field tonight in the Pride jersey with its rainbow stripes. Seven of their regular starters won't be playing because of cultural and religious views. And one of the facts that this whole situation has highlighted is that around half of NRL players come from Pacific Islander backgrounds, and many of them are hardline Christians. So it begs a big and important question. How can the NRL and its clubs send the message that gay people are welcome in their code when so many of its players hold these hardline beliefs. Is it even possible? That is our briefing topic in the second half of the episode. First, I'm joined by Rihanna Patrick. And Rihanna, you and I are more rugby union fans. This sort of thing would never happen in our game, would it? I don't know if we can go that far. <laughs> Israel Falau, we'd like to, any bells? Yeah, and we'd like to think that it wouldn't, but I think when these issues um, come to the fore, it, it's complicated. Sure is. That's why we'll unpack it in the briefing. First, here are today's headlines. It is Thursday the 28th of July. New Treasurer Jim Chalmers will give his first economic update today and it's set to be grim. Yeah, he's going to announce a downgrade in the economic growth forecast by half a percent for both of the next two years and he'll be forecasting that inflation will go above the Reserve Bank's 7% prediction. Yeah, Chalmers also says that the domestic forces putting pressure on inflation have been building for almost a decade, and it will take time to dissipate. He also warned that we need to brace for higher interest rates and also higher unemployment. Oh, yeah, it's all pretty grim. So the new inflation figures came out yesterday, 6.1%, highest in 21 years. It was slightly better than what a lot of the analysts were expecting, which was 6.3%. And this all points to the Reserve Bank putting up rates again next Tuesday. Um, Most people expecting they'll go up by 50 basis points again to a total of 1.85%. In America overnight, the US Federal Reserve put up rates by 75 basis points again, bringing their total rate rises to 2.25% over the last year. Remote Australia's Indigenous female MPs have sounded the alarm on the lifting of alcohol bans across the Northern Territory. You can't just suddenly pull the pin on it without any protection, sanctuary or plan. It is like pulling your forces out of Afghanistan, but leaving your local workers and their dependents in harm's way. That's Labor's Marion Scrimmager in her maiden speech in Parliament. Coalition Senator Jacinta Price also um, sounded the alarm, as well as the ALP Victorian Senator, Jana Stewart. Yeah, and it's after the Territory Government decided not to extend alcohol bans covering about 400 Aboriginal outstations and communities. I didn't realise this was happening. Do you understand what, what the idea is, why they're doing this in the Territory? So this has come after um, the grog bans that were put in place 15 years ago as part of John Howard's Northern Territory Emergency Response or the intervention has expired, has come to an end. I think it was one of the commitments that um, Labor had made that if they were um, successful in forming government that this is what they would do. 
but it's also raised, I guess, uh, a lot of other questions. It's quite a complex issue around uh, self-determination for communities to decide what they would like. But then there is this fear, I guess, that there could be a massive increase in rates of violence and um, alcohol fueled abuse as well. And I mean, this largely has come out of the intervention no longer being there, but also the Northern Territory um, kind of giving an opt-in to communities about whether they want to opt in to having an alcohol ban or not. So lots of communities might still have one, but some may choose to have their bans lifted. Yeah, and so some are um, trialling um, to see whether that fits or not for them. Others are managing what works um, in their communities. And so um, it seems like this has started a lot of conversation, but again, it's really up to the communities for what's best uh, for the people that live there. And as the Manly Sea Eagles take the field tonight in their Pride jersey, Roosters coach Trent Robinson has come out in support of a Pride round. That's a decision for clubs and the game to make, but my personal opinion... I'm about equality and, and, and I want people to feel like they're cared for and loved and have a place no matter their sexual preference in the world. Yeah, Penrith captain Isa Yo has also come out in support saying his team would be open to wearing pride jerseys but says it would need a considered rollout. Yeah, Peter Vlandis, the boss of the NRL, has said that he's open to a pride round as well so that's going to be part of the conversation we're having in our briefing in just a few minutes. And the Commonwealth Games gets underway in Birmingham tonight. Some athletes are nervous. Some athletes are excited because they have been waiting for this moment to be in front of, um, you know, the crowd. A crowd, a, a, a city such as Birmingham, with brought together over 180 different countries. So that's the chair of the Games Athlete Advisory Committee, Brendan Williams. 435 Aussie athletes have made the trip and the youngest is 14-year-old diver Charlie Petrov. Yeah, and Prince Charles will read the Queen's message on her behalf. Will you be taking a look, Tom? Oh, yeah, I'll be, you know, flicking on the TV and seeing what's happening at the Commonwealth Games. Always great to see our swimmers back in action. And the final episode of Neighbours will air tonight after 37 years on our TV screens. Yeah, what a sad moment. At least we'll get to celebrate um, some of the amazing people that have come through this show. 49 Neighbours alumni are coming back, including Margot Robbie, Kylie Minogue, Delta Goodrum, Guy Pearce, Natalie Bassingsweight and Jason Donovan. We spoke to Toadie about this sad moment when filming wrapped up last month. It's everything. It's literally every kind of emotion and you just got to let it all wash over you and just kind of be grateful that you actually kind of get to experience all these type of emotions. Yeah, and if you're a Toady fan, you can find that episode, which was posted on June 10. And the program first aired in 1985, but was cancelled earlier this year after the UK's Channel 5 announced that it would drop the program from its lineup. Uh, Tom, I must be the only person in Australia not sad to see it go. <laughs> you didn't like it? Uh, unpopular opinion, never watched it. Yeah, okay, that's heavy, yeah. People <laughs> run you out of town for that view. Um, oh, I know, I know. We've got some other views coming in um, on the subject we're about to discuss um, in our briefing, um, talking about the Manly Pride jersey. Uh, Jean Liddy said on our Instagram, it wasn't that long ago that cultural and religious groups um, were or are being discriminated against because of the colour of their skin or the day they go to church. So to stand against marginalised groups in society when you're part of one yourself is the highest form of hypocrisy. Georgia Kendigan has a, a point of view as well. They're not cultural beliefs, they're homophobic ones. 
If it was religious, why still play in a top or a jersey promoting gambling in a brewery-bought stadium? So, yeah, it's sparking a lot of debate. And if you're new to listening to The Briefing, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to have you with us every day. So if you're listening via Apple Podcasts or Spotify or another podcast app, hit subscribe and get The Briefing in your feed each morning from 6am for the headlines like you've just heard and the deep dive interview you're about to hear. Rihanna, we'll catch you tomorrow. Okay, now to our briefing on the NRL Pride jersey controversy. And given Manly have got this inclusion initiative so wrong, we're asking the question, how can the NRL and its clubs make a strong stand around better inclusion of gay people without excluding the huge numbers of religious players? And Antoinette Latouf, this is something you're going to have some thoughts about because you've written a lot about diversity and inclusion in your book and in lots of other places. I sure do, Tom. And of course, you've just written a book about growing up um, as a hardline Christian. Mm. So you've no doubt got views about this as well. And the other crucial point of view, of course, is from gay players. And Karina Brown is one of the stars of the NRLW and she's openly gay. Here's her reaction on listeners on her game podcast. It did trigger me, if I'm honest. I felt a bit enraged and frustrated to pull out because or to get upset over a jersey with a few added extra colours. Mm, on the piping. Like, on the piping. Mm. I was just as astounded that that was a stance. Yeah, you can just hear the pain in her voice mm. there, which really brings home what a disaster this has been. Um, Ian Roberts has also weighed in. He was the first and only NRL player to come out, and that was back in the 90s. Here's what he's had to say. There are bound to be people out in the suburbs, out in the regional areas now, who have listened to this story and, and feel less, again, because they're dealing with their own sexuality issues. And, that, and that's what the Pride Round is about. It's about telling those people, no, no, you are you are worthy. You, you know, you belong here. Yeah, so clearly this controversy has backfired big time for gay people because it's reinforced that a large part of society don't actually support them. But let's learn more about how it unfolded with Michelle Bishop. She's a veteran rugby league reporter at Seven News. Michelle, thanks for joining us. Do you know how this idea of a manly pride jersey came about and how long it had been in the works? It's pretty obvious to see that coming up with a concept would have started with their marketing department and then obviously would have had to come up with a design, um, engage a company to be able to have the the design put on the jerseys. Um, So quite a lengthy process. And it's really interesting to see this morning that there's been some conflicting reports that our sources close to the club say that the NRL department, the actual football department, so that's the coaching staff, was informed. They were right across this from the early stages and had no issue with it. I will say that, you know, having been in and around a club, it doesn't surprise me that the players were the last to find out, um, which is something I think we really need to address. Often we expect these players to be, you know, respectful men in society and that that's when it's convenient. But I think um, this is one of those times where they were just expected to be told like school children, this is what's happening. That was their first mistake, I think, just the whole communication breakdown and expectation. I mean, could you imagine if they had got the players in the room and and discussed the positivity and where they were coming from and the inclusiveness and what they were trying to achieve from this? Perhaps these uh, players could have had some time to go home and think about what they were about to do. The Polynesian players, they are 
uh, unique in that it, it is all about their background, the influence, the job that they have in terms of, you know, they've been given this massive opportunity to go and earn big money to play football to support their families. Because often you'll find a lot of the players that do play, um, you know, we're seeing some of the boys out west out at Penrith, they're buying their families homes. I mean, it's a big deal um, and a huge responsibility. So their influences are from their families, from their background, from their culture and their religions. It is often yeah. about how these people look to their community. I went to Israel Folau's church after that whole controversy and, and saw him sitting there and it really brought home to me, this, this was not so much about the message it sent to everyone else, it was about the message it sent to his community. And what I think this episode shows is that the league still doesn't truly understand these players, their cultural and religious and family beliefs. Well, guys, what's interesting for me is that uh, Frank Pulatua, who's a, a huge character in our game, obviously a proud Samoan um, Australian, he works for the NRL. He was a former Panther and Bunnies player, and he's he's really hit the nail on the head. He has said it's all about education. He was really disappointed with the whole fiasco, and it, the words he used were it left him in shock. But he's also said there is no way forward for us as a society but to embrace all diversity. And for him, it's all about education. He's gone as far as to say that he, he believes greater education is required for Polynesian NRL players and communities on the issue of homosexuality. Because he says there's actually a strong gay element in the Polynesian community. And that's the irony, mm. the disappointment for him. Um, he says you know, the attitude towards homosexuality is based on how prescriptive you want to be to certain mm. religious texts and whether you will allow it to dictate your view or how you behave and how you conduct yourself. It, it does seem like quite a missed opportunity. So why do you think after months of planning for this, they hadn't talked to the players about it? Well, guys, um, how do I put this in a politically correct sense? <laughs> um, I think education in and around the clubs, you know, have we got the right people in the right positions? What was happening in that marketing department? Surely they're having briefings. Surely they're having meetings. As you say, it's been a huge opportunity missed. And not only that, the timing of this was absolutely appalling. And, you know, I've been involved in rugby league since I was 17 years of age. I'm three years off 50. And we've worked so hard to be included in the game in, across media. And here I'm talking about women. I've been in the game for years and years. And I've seen it slowly, very slowly progress and to not be have had the chance to you know celebrate what women do and it was it was basically hijacked pick another round any round yeah. we've got 25 rounds of rugby league mm. obviously a rainbow jersey during women in league round i, I mean it seems like a strange idea well, we we see we mostly see um, you know touches of pink on the jersey. I mean, the Panthers out, out west they've done the women in league round extremely well for a long, long time. And I want to stress here, I'm very supportive of some sort of pride round. The AFL, I look at them and they do that so well. But the other thing is, uh, why do we need these rounds? Why can't we just all get on with the job and 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 play rugby league and include everybody? Because that's what this is all about. We've got an Indigenous round. We've got a, a women in league round. We've got a retro round. To me, it all comes back to money and, and printing jerseys so that poor mum and dad have got to keep forking out jersey after jersey so every kid's got every jersey in the collection. Beyond selling jerseys, I think the importance of things like Indigenous rounds is to highlight the impact uh, First Nations players have on the game, even the women in league. I mean, the argument from a diversity and inclusion perspective is that until things are truly equal um, and inclusive, we need to continue to highlight groups that are not appreciated or recognised. 
some of the Indigenous players in our game are the most incredible, and, and that's male and female, the most incredible individuals, and, and their contribution to the sport is just absolutely amazing. I am encouraged by some of the younger players that are coming through and, and, and their attitudes towards a lot of this sort of stuff because it's very, very different to, you know, the way we were brought up and the way many of us were brought up. Uh, they came from dysfunctional households and, and rugby league was a bit of a, you know, a safe haven for them. What next for these seven players? Because it's going to be clear who has sat the game out. Like, well, what happens to them in the public eye and in their career moving forward? Let's be realistic about this. Uh, next time they take the field, uh, they are going to have to expect some kind of, you know, anger and abuse from the crowd. It's only sort of natural. But I'd really sincerely love to see them go into a room with someone like Ian Roberts and, and perhaps a couple of locals, so Northern Beaches, kids that are struggling with their sexuality and to actually get a visual of what's going on here. Because, you know, if, you, if you're not exposed to it, I guess you don't understand it, you can't feel it, you can't, uh, you know, have a clear understanding of what's going on. Because at the end of the day, guys, what we do need to think about are those young people that are struggling with their sexuality. This is huge. And yesterday was a very, very sad day for those individuals. Michelle Bishop from Seven News Sport. And Tom, I'm keen to get your opinion. Do you think it's as simple as getting some of these players um, who are devout Christians into a room with people who are gay to listen to their lived experience and come to some sort of middle ground? No, I disagree with Michelle on that one. I think trying to change their deeply held views through education is not going to work and that actually they have to find a way to be inclusive of these um, hardline Christian and Muslim players as they are, not trying to change them. And I think it's a little bit condescending to think you get them in a room mm. and somehow change something that's so deeply held. And, and it's not just about changing their minds anyway. As Michelle rightly said, it's all about how these people look to their families and their communities. So if you're going down that pathway, you'd, you'd be re-educating their whole communities, which is just not going to happen. These are deeply held views based on their interpretation of the Bible. I guess it's not just rugby league. A lot of um, my relatives um, who are both huge rugby league fans but also devout Catholics have pointed to the Israel Folau saga saying, again, it's a player of Christian Pacific Island background, mm. just because he's not part of a, a progressive narrative that he's scrutinised. Yeah, well, it's clearly a, a very challenging issue for these codes that have huge numbers of players from these religious backgrounds. Um, when you look at the NRL's inclusion and diversity framework, they talk about being inclusive of people from LGBTI backgrounds and multicultural backgrounds. So they need to find a way to somehow do both that doesn't leave these players from these multicultural backgrounds being excluded. Like it's not the right way forward and it's not adhering even to their own framework that these players are having to step out of the game. Yeah, well, let's be honest, um, Tom, if you look at most of the NRL and most teams, a significant portion are either Pacific Islander, Middle Eastern or First Nations, mm. as well as their supporters. So NRL cannot ignore multicultural communities, and some are absolutely religiously and culturally conservative. I just think with collaboration, there can be a plan that everybody agrees on. And let's not, let's not ignore the fact that there are some things within 
sponsorship or within the code that would go against people's religious beliefs. For example, alcohol sponsors being on logos and being on jerseys and people being of the Islamic faith. They've found a way to reconcile that. Or if you really want to get down to the letter of the law or the biblical law, even playing sport on a Sunday, which is a day of religious worship. So there are ways and we've seen ways in which religious values have been compromised for the game. And I don't think that this is that uh, we can just say, oh, it's against the religion. It's not going to happen because there are countless examples of where it has happened Mm. relating to different things like alcohol or gambling or playing on Sundays. So do you think if the NRL had a gay pride round, it would do more harm than good? At this point, given the fact that we haven't had a, a gay rugby league player come out since 1995, I don't think it's ready. I don't think the culture is right. And I, I suspect it will just backfire and do more damage. Tomorrow on the briefing, uh, we're looking at the Dondale Youth Detention Centre in the Northern Territory. Um, there was massive outrage and then a royal commission about the way Indigenous kids were being treated in that facility. We're going to find out what's happened since. Has anything changed? Listener.